0: Everyone in the venue and the chapel though this morning, and um, and everyone watching online at Carneefree.com, thank you for joining us there as well. Hey, If you're a newcomer here to Carney Efree Church, we extend a special welcome to you if you're tuned in for the first time at Carefree.com again, thanks for joining us there. Wherever you are spiritually today, wherever you are emotionally today, we are really grateful that you chose to join us for church. We know that people come to church in all different kinds of places. And uh, we appreciate God giving us a try here in person or online. We know that uh, also people are in a variety of different places related to coming back to church, and it's good news that kids ministry will be starting pretty soon here in the next few weeks. Again, stay tuned for, for updates on that at carneyefree.com. Other ministries will be get go- getting going as well. By the way, if you're watching um, online at home with your kids and you want to bring them here, by all means, you're welcome. Uh, It's great to see the kids in the worship service even here this morning. So uh, let me just uh, start by restating the goal that we've had in our reboot, which is now three weeks in. Our goal has been to provide safe, beautiful, tightly organized worship services so that wherever you are emotionally, you can move from any perhaps... Uh, fear or anxiety that some people are still feeling, and that's fine, no judgment on any of that, but move from that place to trust that my church has my back, that my church is doing well, whatever they can, to help keep things safe as we move forward, and then from trust to a sense of freedom, that I have a freedom to come to God and worship. It wasn't worship just great here, though, this morning, so rich to, to come together and worship together, and yeah, we can clap for that. But this is the goal, to to move from anxiety or tentativeness to a sense of great trust and freedom in worship, and we're moving in that direction, and so thanks for for being with us as we continue to move forward there. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter 1, verse 24. Uh, I had some good Father's Day jokes, but then I realized they were no good after listening to Kent's, and I'm just going to skip mine. Uh, If you go to the book of Revelation and then you turn back about 15, 20 pages to 1 Peter, that's where we'll be. 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 24. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went out on a date. Imagine that. Like we had been on a number of good dates over the previous few months, but they were all this kind of date. We just kind of walked around the block a bunch of times. And they were good dates, like my wife and I had some really, really good time during the stay-at-home order in which um, we walked together most evenings and and more rich times with the boys. The, The time really for our family provided a very good pause for us to be reminded of what matters the most. And that's our family and our relationship with God And then just being reinforced about my vision as a man My vision as a pastor So the time of self-reflection was really quite good for us But there does come a day when your wife is ready for a date And when that day comes, fellas, you better shell out some change And so she got the sitter and I arranged the dinner And out we went I'm with my girl getting outside of town and so um, we're driving out, and for whatever reason, on this particular night, after we left the kids' well with the sitter, just about three weeks ago, for the first time going out together in four months, I think, I was negligent prior to COVID-19. Uh, we try to go on a date a couple times a month just to keep the fires burning. It's necessary. But I was negligent before that time. So it's been four months since we've been on a legitimate date together. And um, we get in the car, and we were feeling kind of self-reflective, And I just said to her, Honey, can you believe that we're 43 years old now? Like, where's the time gone? I mean, 43 years, it's just been like that. And you know where we went next in that conversation, right? The kids, they're 8 and 12. And next from that was this calculation. How many years do we have left with them? And then thinking about my parents who have been a little bit ill and you know Susie's mother and talking about those kinds of things and then all of a sudden we're out on a date and my wife is starting to cry and she wants to go home and be with the kids. This isn't at all the way I envisioned it. But I just said to her, I said, honey, 43 years like that, I am determined, Susie, to maximize what God has given, not to waste it Like our years are so short. The impact that we can have for kingdom causes and for eternity is so brief here on earth. I'm determined to maximize it. I don't want to waste a year. I don't want to waste a month. I don't want to waste a day for the one who gave his all for me that when I was dead, he made me alive. I don't want to waste the limited time that we have to maximize the family and the church that he has, for some reason, given us some influence in. Our days are short. And that's exactly what Peter's going to tell us in our passage here this morning, if you're already there. 1 Peter 1 24 and it goes on to 2 verse 3 and you can kind of ignore the chapter and verse headings those were all introduced just about 500 years ago they aren't a part of the original bible they give us a nice way to kind of divide it and be able to make our way through it a little bit easier but this is one continuous thought from the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and the apostle Peter says this all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word that was preached to you therefore as a result because life is short therefore therefore Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me as we open up this passage? Father thank you for this morning Thank you for these dear friends here and watching online We pray God that you would lead us in this beautiful passage from 1 Peter That you would help us to understand what you have for us as a church But also uh, what you have for us individually Father we all have many things on our minds right now We ask God that you calm our hearts and enable us to be here together as a church family And to listen to your word Get me out of the way God Get me out of the way Only you is what we need. Only you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Peter's reminding us of what we already know. Our lives are like grass, they're green in April, and they're brown by October. Our lives are like tulips. They're beautiful in May, but the petals drop in June, don't they? This is a surprise to us because of the advances of medical science, wherein many people today live to age 80 or 90 or sometimes even longer. But this was no surprise to Peter's audience. He was just saying to them what they already knew. In the Roman Empire of Jesus' day, which was far and away the most advanced civilization that the world had ever seen. In terms of comforts and safety and medicine, the Roman Empire was par excellence. And yet, the average lifespan at the day that Peter is writing in Jesus' day, just a few short years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, was 40 years. That was the expected lifespan. Jesus was not a young man when he died at age 33 that was normal obviously what he went through was not normal but Peter is explaining what his people what his church already understand all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field this is a frequently quoted verse in the Bible that actually has its origin in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse six, in which the prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before the time of Jesus, writes this for the first time, and the reason that he writes it back then was to remind his people that as their empire, as the Jewish nation was being destroyed by Assyrians and Babylons and Babylonians, he's reminding them that all nations are like grass. Do you realize that do not put your trust in any nation put your trust in the kingdom of god that's what isaiah is saying every nation is like grass every nation is like the flowers of the field we don't talk about the roman empire anymore except for in history right but this is reality there's there's one kingdom that we belong to the kingdom of god so also James quotes the same verse in James chapter 1 and he's speaking of wealth and he says wealth takes on wings and it flies away it's like grass which we all know don't we here today gone tomorrow we've all experienced that don't put your trust in that and so Peter is quoting the same verse now a third time in the scriptures for this purpose of reminding that the whole of life is fleeting And so, where do we put our energy? I pray, my friends, that you put your energy in your Creator. I pray you put your energy in your Redeemer. I pray that we regularly ask the question how do I maximize what God has given me in these limited days that I have? The book of Psalms gives us great wisdom in this. It says, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days. Number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. You know, wise people understand that our days here on earth are short, and in their wisdom they say, how do I maximize them for what really matters, what will actually last? And the three things that will actually last are God, His Word, and people. So teach me, O God, to number my days that I would gain a heart of wisdom. Peter gives us a couple instructions on how we would do that in these next three verse verses. The first one goes like this Life is short. Life is short, therefore rid yourself of all ugly. Everything that is ugly, just rid yourself of that by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, because life is exceedingly short. What we're doing here, though, this summer is teaching through a very simple Bible acronym that helps us develop another tool in our toolbox for studying the Scriptures. And my deep conviction is this. The Bible is for you. It's for you to study and to meditate on, to memorize and to understand for yourself. And the best I can do is provide an appetizer for the rest of your week. That's the best I can do. What you want to do is be in the habit of studying the Scriptures for yourself each and every week. And so this tool that we've been going through is a really simple, helpful tool that hopefully we can do at least once each week prior to the next week's message in the next passage from 1 Peter so that you get even more out of that message because you've already feasted on the Word of God yourself. And it's this, SOAP. Scripture, which we already went through, Okay, five verses this morning. Scripture, then observation, application, and prayer. And here's these questions on observation that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And they're just worthy of perhaps writing down and getting into our queue that we would uh, put them in our our journals or however we, we do our Bible study. And some of these questions would come up each time you do Bible study. Maybe not all of them. But what's the context of this passage historically? Or perhaps what's the literary context, the verses that came before and what did they say? What are the commands that the author gives? Want to take note of those. What are the prohibitions that the author gives? If this is the Holy Bible, we want to take note of those. Are there any special words that deserve further study? Are there cross-references, other verses that I should look into as I'm looking at this passage? That's what we just did with Isaiah 40 and James chapter 1. Is there a big idea that kind of emerges out of this passage? Are there questions that merit further study at a later date? And this, my friends, this kind of study, this kind of analysis, this kind of synthesis, this kind of reflection is how we learn. Can I say it any stronger? Okay, You won't learn much by listening to me. Maybe I'm a lousy teacher. You won't. You won't learn much by listening to me. You might be inspired, I hope, and that's good. That's good. That plays a role. But to learn requires reflection and study and thoughtfulness. And as we do it, we really do grow in our knowledge and our understanding, and our application of the scriptures. Okay, so what do you observe in this passage though that we just looked at what do you observe here's the big idea though that I get out of this passage and what we'll be unpacking here for the rest of the morning it goes like this life is short therefore rid yourself of all that is ugly and fill yourself with all that is beautiful that's it if you were to summarize those six verses five verses it's just that life is short therefore rid yourself of all that is ugly and fill yourself with what is beautiful the context of this passage is what we already looked at last week as Jordan led us. Verse 15 of chapter 1 says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And this is the number one theme that we'll see again and, again and again in 1 Peter. And I'm telling you, as our culture gets more and more post-Christian as it is, those who are holy will begin to stand out for Christ. And those who are not will just kind of go with the crowd. It says, Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And so we receive the holiness of God from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then we live it out little bit by little bit as we maximize what God has given us every day. Now the question is, who do you know that's really holy? You want to shout out any name? You can. That'd be a positive compliment, okay? That'd be an opportunity to brag on that person. That's okay. Who do you know? Maybe you think of Holiness is kind of equated With the old Sunday school statement That you heard well when you were growing up I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't chew I don't go out with girls who do Have You ever heard that? Okay that's that's one old school idea of holiness That's not what I think about holiness But that's an old school idea I, I must confess that For the longest time as a young Christian When I thought of holiness I thought of Oh this is something totally other that I could never attain I could never attain And when I thought of holiness I thought of Amish people I thought of folks like this in Western Pennsylvania. They're on the beach. I'm not. That's not Western Pennsylvania, but <laughs> or Mennonite folks with bonnets on their heads and long dresses, and they very well may be holy. I don't know. They very well may be. I'm not saying that they're not. But each of those things, that old saying that we taught ourselves in Sunday school: "I don't drink, dance, chew," and, and then this image that we have of holiness, that many of us have of holiness are all based on externals, aren't they? They're not based on the condition of the heart. They're based on outer appearances, how we look and things that we do. They're not based on the heart. I was thinking about this last week, just saying, who who have I known that have really been holy? I thought of a number of people in this room here today. I thought of a man from about 15 years ago, though, that I knew really well. I did a number of ministry projects with, and his name is Cliff, And if you were to look at Cliff You would not say that he looked holy Because he had long Slick back biker hair That went all the way down to his shoulders And Cliff was missing a number of teeth And he had a big ugly mangly goatee And he loved to wear These cut off t-shirts So that he could expose people to his biker tattoos And I got to know Cliff um, While he was in the homeless shelter In Boulder, Colorado And I was leading a homeless ministry there, and soon enough, Cliff kind of emerged as a leader amongst that group, and he became a co-leader with me in the homeless ministry. And he moved out of the homeless shelter himself and got a job and really started to do well. But as I got to know Cliff, I got to learn his background, which is really quite fascinating, so much different than mine. Cliff had emerged a couple years before this out of a motorcycle biker gang in Southern California, where he was one of the gang's enforcers. And he treated women awfully. And he had racist attitudes. And he was ugly toward people on a regular basis. And he had a long rap sheet. And he paid a lot of time in jail as a result of that rap sheet. But a couple years before I got to know Cliff, he got to know someone else by the name of Jesus. And as he got to know the name Jesus, he came to realize that God sent his son to forgive even him with his long, ugly rap sheet and he couldn't believe that God would forgive him for time and for eternity for the crimes he committed which he had already paid time for but for the other crimes which he committed which he knew he did not pay any time for and not just those the sins that he had committed against a holy God that Jesus would offer his blood for those friends do you know that you have a rap sheet too do you? I see a few, Neds, a few heads nodding. Okay, I see a couple in the back. I hear them out in the venue. You've got a rap sheet too. Everybody in this room, everybody in the venue, everybody on this stage has a rap sheet. Everybody's got a rap sheet. And yet God in his holiness, God in his love, chooses not to leave us there. Instead, he sends a son for us to die for us and to bring us to him. And Cliff began to taste that God is good. He began to experience that God is good, began to experience that God was loving to him in spite of all his previous failures. And I'm telling you today, Cliff still looks the same, but he is a different man. I mean, he's got a holiness deep inside of his heart. Holiness is about the heart. The heart of holiness is the heart. It's not about externals. The heart of holiness is the heart. And Cliff, if you got to know him, you would say, that is one of the most generous people I've ever met. That is one of the warmest, most inviting, hospitable people I've ever met. To people of different backgrounds than his or the same background as his. Cliff's favorite statement is this. No one is too too far far from the long arm of the Lord. Don't you love that? Nobody is too far far from the long arm of the Lord. And if Jesus gets a hold of you, he turns you out upside down and he comes to the heart the heart of holiness is the heart this is exactly what Jesus said he said it's not what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean it's out of the overflow of the heart it's not about the tongue or the actions or how we look it's the overflow of the heart he says that's what makes a man clean or unclean there's where we start this resolute decision to rid ourselves well with the ugly by the power of the Holy Spirit and this is the prohibition that Peter points to in verse 1 he says rid yourself of all malice because God's holiness has come to you because life is short rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind the word malice in the original Greek language is kind of a catch all word It encompasses a whole bunch of issues of the heart. That's the idea there. Malice is a whole bunch of issues of the heart, a catch-all word for all of those. I lived in 2003 in Mobile, Alabama, and as a northerner moving into Alabama and working in a local public school as a speech-language pathologist, I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. And there's a lot of phrases that people use in the Deep South that I didn't use where I came from and we don't use here. And one of the phrases that I kept on hearing teachers and administrators say to students was, oh, Johnny, stop being ugly. Or, oh, Julie, that's ugly of you. And I'm looking around, these teachers are like, who are these teachers telling these beautiful kids they're ugly? Oh, my heavens, why would you dare say that to a kid? And then I I realized, I was there a little bit longer, that they weren't talking about their outer appearance, they were talking about their sour attitude. Oh, that attitude is ugly. They're saying, Johnny, leave that ugly attitude at home and bring a more positive attitude here to school. They're referring to the condition of the heart. And that's what's meant here by, by malice. It's saying, rid yourself of all that is ugly deep within your heart. And these examples, though, that Peter give are the kinds of examples that people like us can struggle with, including me. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, judgmentalism, jealousy, slander, all of those kinds of things. Anyone else ever struggle with those? Okay, so what what Peter's saying here is, Christians, church, you can't act one way on Friday and a different way on Sunday rid yourself of that deceit. Christians, church, far be it from us to speak truthful words in unloving ways. Do you know someone who does that? Truthful words in unloving ways, that's called hypocrisy. Christians, far be it from us to ever speak slanderously or even think slanderously about another person And on and on he would go. Rid yourself of these things because these are heart level issues that lead to holiness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we rid ourselves of these kinds of things. God, do work in us is is what Peter is saying. It's fascinating to me that this is Peter's focus, Bob, because, again, the context is he's writing in the Roman Empire to these Christians who are this very, very small minority in Northwest Asia, and they're surrounded by all kinds of emperor worship. Literally, people are worshiping the emperor, worshiping the king. That's their religion. And then other people are practicing different forms of polytheism that came from the Greek mythology of the day, And Peter doesn't talk about any of those things at all. Like, as Peter's pastoring his church, he doesn't look out the window. He invites his church to look in the mirror. And this is a consistent testimony we see over and over again. The New Testament letters look in the mirror, not out the window, because holiness begins with my heart. And I see things in my heart that are not right. And so his focus is on the community-destroying activities that ruin the modern church. Judgmentalism and hypocrisy and slander and deceit, these are the things that ruin the modern church, are they not? Like, have you been in a church like that? Find me the exit door as fast as I can. I want nothing to do with that church. I'm so thankful this is not that church. But we're in such a divisive time in our country right now, it's so critical that we remind ourselves of what does the Lord require of us as Christians. And friends, we just want to begin with our hearts. And then from there, behavior follows. If you begin with behavior, you won't get the heart. If you begin with the heart, then behavior will follow. We teach our kids this all the time. I'm sure you do as well. We're wise to teach ourselves. The application for for me out of this section of this passage is, Adrian, as I look at my life, where do I see one of these qualities of malice that needs to be uprooted from my soul? And I would just encourage you, if you see one, great. Thanks be to God that he revealed that to you. That's a praise. That's the grace of God to reveal that to us. And then we confess that and we ask God's help. I would say every day to ask God's help, every day for the next seven days Would you begin by the power of the Holy Spirit to uproot the deceit that is in me? Would you begin by the power of the Holy Spirit to uproot the judgmentalism that is in me that does no good to anyone, the hypocrisy that is in me that does no good to anyone? We begin by ridding ourselves with what is ugly, and then you can't just rid yourself of it. You have to fill yourself with something else, don't you? And so he says in verse 2, crave pure spiritual nourishment fill yourself with what is beautiful verse 2 says this exactly life is short crave yourself or fill yourself well with what is beautiful verse 2 like newborn babies crave underline that word crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the lord is good don't you love being around babies i, I love to be able to hold a newborn baby I actually get to do that for my job <laughs> I get paid to go to the hospital Not during COVID days, unfortunately But I get paid to go to the hospital and hold a newborn baby Ah! I lucked out Like, There's nothing better than holding a newborn baby The soft skin, the smell uh, The little smile they give when they're letting out some gas You know, all that <laughs> To hold a newborn baby is like the sweetest thing But how do you tick a baby off? You deny her milk, right? Like the one thing that'll tick a baby off is she is hungry and she can't have her milk. She's really hungry. Give it to me now. And then once she gets that milk from mama, what happens to baby? She falls into a milk coma and she has a wry smile on her face and she lets out a belch and she lays on your shoulder and all is, light, is, all is right in the world, Right? All is right in the world in that moment Both for mom and for the baby I'm looking at a couple new mothers here in this room right now For the mom and that baby Grandma, whoever's holding that baby All is right in the world in that moment And this is exactly what Peter is saying to us As a baby would crave her mother's milk So we would crave Spiritual milk Because we have tasted the Lord our God is good And because you have tasted that he's good, you want more of it. You go back to him again and again. And unlike babies, we have to be reminded to go back to the source of our milk, don't we? We have to be reminded to go back to the source of our spiritual milk. And so question here of application on verse 2 is, How are you continuously giving yourself to what is beautiful such that you would cultivate a craving for the one who alone is God? Because you got to hunt down being with God. He's choosing to always be available to us, but you must make the choice to crave him, to go be with him. To spend the time to practice the disciplines, to enjoy the exercises that you do, the spiritual practices that grow us up in our salvation. That's the end of it, verse 2, grow us up in our salvation. So again, I'm not sure how you do that, but I just want to tell you that the very best thing that you can do in order to grow up in your salvation and to crave spiritual milk more and more is to spend a daily time with God. 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, 60 minutes a day, some amount of time that you deem you could do, shoot for three or four days a week, even though this week, write it on your calendar and say, I am going to pray and read or study or meditate on the scripture. I'm going to worship, but I'm going to instill this exercise, this practice of being with God. That's the most important thing you can do. And then after that, here's our process. You might wonder sometimes what does the church want of me? What would the church's plan be for me to grow up more and more in my salvation? Here's our plan. I don't want it to be a mystery. We try to talk about it, but I realize we probably don't talk about it enough. This is our basic process for our discipleship. What we don't want is to make you busy. That's the last thing we want. What we do want is to give a few environments a week that we would say yes to, and a result of saying yes to spiritually-based environments would grow, up, grow us up more and more in our salvation when this world threatens to take all of our time, does it not? Right? The world threatens to take all of our time, so we have to make some decisions. And our process is this. We have these four core values, and the first two are truth, And gospel. And when you come to church on Sunday morning, you go to the bilingual ministry or Sunday evening, what was C20? You come to church on the weekend, I pray that you would get an inspiring message, a teaching message that incorporates the truth of the scriptures that is unchanging, the truth of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Christ that is unchanging, and the gospel message that saves you from death, saves you from hell, and brings you to life everlasting. That you get a message like that each and every weekend, and it's critical that we would get that every weekend. Now, you can get this far from your living room, can't you? Right? You can get that far from your living room, and that's a really, really good thing. But what you cannot get far from your living room, and what a lot of people are about making the decision to do, is just chill in their living room right now. Now, I, I know that there are some people that are making the decision not to come to church right now across America because of concerns, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. For those who have concerns who don't feel safe, that's fine. I'm not talking about that at all. But there's numerous studies that are coming out that church folks are saying, yeah, I feel safe, but this feels really comfortable to be in my living room. And I prefer this. That ain't church. Because it's missing, all, all you get is that. What's missing is this. Community These are our other core values. Community and mission. And the truth is, if we only get information, we don't grow. But if we apply it in a community of 10 people in a life group, or perhaps even in this community on Sunday morning that you can talk about the things that you didn't understand from the sermon right after I'm done, Okay, you have community together as you do so. It's possible that God brings you to church some Sundays not even to get something for for me. It's possible that God brings you to church to give something to someone else. It's possible that God brings you to church some Sundays simply to say, Lord God, who can I be an encouragement to right now? Who is it in our church right now that needs encouragement or prayer today? That may be the very reason that God brought you to church though this morning. Community is critical. And then mission is critical. As we all know, if you don't do, you won't be changed. And so we all need some kind of mission, whether it's greeting mission, the greeters are doing an amazing job right now, or children's ministry downstairs, or storehouse, or our deacon and deaconess team, leading a life group. There's dozens of them. I won't go over all of them right now. But some kind of mission where I say, I am doing for the cause of Christ. And if I'm in these three environments, like just imagine this, four or five hours a week Total out of all the hours that God gives us a week four or five hours a week for my church just three environments not two bible studies not two life groups not two areas of mission but one of each of these through this word prayer so we do these three environments through prayer and as we do it we taste and see that the Lord is good we grow up in our salvation we learn to crave spiritual milk more and more we learn to see how much God personally cares about us because we are praying through our mission we are praying through the worship service, we are praying through our community, we're asking God would you even use me up on the screen you'll see this icon and I'll wrap up well with this this is an icon that you see outside these garage doors, truth mission gospel and communities four core values that just comprise this simple process for our discipleship that um, we would begin to grow up in our salvation more and more as we do these three environments these four words on a consistent basis and the result would be we increasingly rid ourselves of all that is ugly and we fill ourselves with all that is beauty I'm going to ask the band to come forward right now, both here and in the venue. And the prayer is out of this, not a legalism, not a do these three or four or five things, but a reception of these practices which God would give us to change us from the inside out, to make us more like Him, to increasingly reflect Him in holiness, in all that we say and do and increasingly enjoy Him. Isn't that your desire? To enjoy God. To taste and see that our God is good. That we would crave spiritual milk the way a baby craves her mother's milk. And this comes by spending time together with our church, and most importantly, with our Father. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we're grateful. We're so grateful that you would have us. Every single one of us is in process. None of us have arrived. And in this room and online and in the venue, we just declare it's okay to be here and not be okay. None of us is okay, none of us is put together, but that's why we come to church. That's why we're part of life groups, that we would sharpen each other, we would pray for each other. That's part of the reason, though, that we serve, that we would be changed as we serve. So, Father, we invite you to change us. You invite, we invite you to keep working on us. For some of us here, though, this morning, well, we've heard something related to this word malice. The truth is, as we pray and we process through that scripture, we recognize there's some things in our hearts that we need to repent of. And if you're feeling that right now, don't resist it. That's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God that brings conviction. That's the kindness of God. And Father, we recognize that it's not enough for us just to empty, but we need to be filled. So what is it that we're missing? As we grow in godliness, what is it we're missing that you want us to grow in? that we need to make more time for in our lives. Oh Lord, we want to experience you more. We want to taste how good you are. May it be across our church in Jesus' name.